1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit
2: voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Over
0: the Gotta let it go.
1: So fight. The Rain Fast Down. Down to light. You're the pot. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch Episode 19, covering Open the Ultimate Gate from Atlanta, Georgia at the Presidential Ballroom on April 3rd, 2011. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find Open the Voice Gate on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed in all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, you can click on the link in the show notes and Submit a donation through Redbubble. They could be reoccurring. It could be one time, and any donations are... We love donations if you do it. It'd be really sweet. But anyways, I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we've made it through WrestleMania weekend, and what a WrestleMania weekend it was.
2: A bizarre triple shot for Dragon USA, and it ends on a weird note. It began with Open the Southern Gate, which is a really strange show, but one even two weeks removed from it. It's one of those shows that has, has stuck with me more than others. I think there have been a handful of really good shows that we've watched to this point in the rewatch project, but they're just good indie shows. There was something a little bit different about open the southern gate, the John Moxley versus Naruki Doi match, the Shima versus Johnny Gargano match in the main event, while two out of the three weren't exactly spreadsheet material. I wouldn't call them great, but I would call them very good. It was such a unique show that it it just stands out from the DGUSA pack and then Mercury Rising 2011, the show we talked about last week with Joey Bay. An outstanding show. I mean, a lot of really, really good stuff. Some stuff that over-delivered for me. A fun main event, a great title match between Pac and Akira Tozawa. And then we have Open the Ultimate Gate 2011. A confusing show, uh, just full of head-scratching decisions. And I will say now, and come back to it later, a show that unfortunately felt very familiar. And I can kind of expand on that as we go along but I had seen this show before, re-watching it again, it's not that familiar since, but a Gabe Sapolsky-produced WrestleMania weekend show like this, I have seen this song and dance before.
1: Yeah, and this week on the show, we have a couple notes, and then we're going to get the show itself, and then have like a big wrap-up, but this one really, for better or for worse, felt most like a Sapolsky-WWN-mania show, with all the positives and negatives that it entails, in my opinion.
2: I think that's entirely fair, I mean, That's that's what it was. This, in a weird way, becomes the archetype for some of the evolved shows that would happen years later. Like, I, again, this show just... I, I, I know what this show is. I've seen this show. There are parts of it I liked, parts of it I didn't like, and that is the magic of Dragon Gate USA.
1: Yeah, and, you know, this is something that this show was done, I believe, like, right before WrestleMania. The attendance of it was 350. The... Work attendance, take a guess what the work attendance was.
2: What was the shoot attendance? You said 350?
1: 350, yes.
2: Shoot attendance has to be about 780 people.
1: According to Cage Match, 916. (laughs) 916. So, before we get into the show itself, as I alluded to before right we have a couple notes case because there's some card um mix-ups that happen and some injury stuff to take care of in the lead up to the show
2: that is correct but i i just now realize as we're sitting here we talked about the ring of honor shows that happened during 2011 wrestlemania weekend last week we never talked about WrestleMania itself. Mike, I'm going to run you down the WrestleMania 27 card from Atlanta, Georgia. You tell me okay. You tell me if any of this stuff sounds familiar to you. Just, a, I'll take that because looking at this card now <laughs> doesn't exactly ring a bell. But we have Sheamus versus Daniel Bryan in a dark match, which ended in a no contest. But Wikipedia is telling me it was also a lumberjack match in four minutes. A four-minute lumberjack no contest. That sounds atrocious. Uh, The Great Khali won a battle royal. Edge defeated Alberto Del Rio in the opener. Cody Rhodes defeated Rey Mysterio. Uh, The Big Show, Kane, Kofi Kingston, and Santino Morella Mike, they defeated the core of Ezekiel Jackson, Heath Slater, (laughs) Justin Gabriel, and Wayne Barrett. Randy Orton defeated CM Punk on what I believe was the work rate match of the show. There is a a 13-and-a-half-minute long Michael Cole versus Jerry the King Lawler match with Stone Cold Steve Austin as your special guest referee. A half-hour match between The Undertaker and Triple H. The semi-main event on this show... John Morrison, Snooky, and Trish Stratus defeating Dolph Ziggler and Leigh Cool, And in the main event, The Miz headlined WrestleMania and defeated John Cena in a match that I have zero recollection of. Mike, any memories of this show at all?
1: Actually, I remember when we did the show in Phoenix and the only memory I really had was Shawn Michaels versus... Uh, Undertaker, I have a lot of memories of the show actually. Like, I'm kind of surprised that you don't have as many, but also time frame wise, kind of makes sense in a little little bit of a way. Um, I remember the, that Sheamus and D- Daniel Bryan match because they would later talk about how they felt like they were gypped in on the pre show and they were going to make the match next year in Miami into something special that did end up happening, of course. The, the uh, Miami
2: WrestleMania next year, I have a ton of memories of because that was the show that got me back into wrestling because I pretty much stopped after the Ben Watson in 2007 and then had some morbid curiosity years later of like, I wonder what's happening. And then I saw the CM Punk versus Chris Jericho match being advertised. That is what drew me to that show. And unfortunately, that led me to where we are now, WrestleMania 28 in Miami
1: i mean that's gonna be a real like synchronicity moment for us when we talk about that weekend of shows since i was at those mania DGSA shows but uh yeah cody and Rey mysterio i remember because this was when uh cody got his nose broken mm. and they were doing the uh beautiful disaster definitely remember snooki Snooky, not snooky Snooky. uh and then i have like distinct memories of this uh miz versus uh John Cena match because I had the awesome Miss Hate Me Now video. That's beforehand. right. yeah.
2: The Rich Kreich special. He loves he loves that video and I, I do remember that now but I, I don't remember anything about this match. I mean I guess I, I, I've i seen it at some point but a 20 minute yeah. Miss John Cena main event of Wrestlemania and it does not ring a bell at all.
1: Well like I remember the storyline and all the stuff because The Rock was involved and you know how I feel about The Rock. So I have to rep the University of Miami alums where I can. But I just, like, I remember, like, it happening. And I remember, like, oh, yeah, no, this is a part of the thing, then it became the lead up to Cena and Rock at WrestleMania 28. So, or 27. I forget, wh- whichever one's the one in Miami. This one's the Miami 27, next
2: year's 28. So Miami is 28. 28.
1: So I was right the first time. The WrestleMania 28. So just, like, you know, it's one of those things that it's such a, uh, like, complete, like, Something that, like, is a part of my memory that I'm never going to forget, you know? Like, and it's just kind of impossible for me not to remember that, you know? So, it's wild. That That is that is wild. That is unfortunate that that is something you
2: cannot get out of your memory. But, you know, that's, that's why we're here. So, in terms of news and notes for Open the Ultimate Gate 2011... Well, as we talked about a little bit last week, there just wasn't a ton of of notes and newsworthy stuff in the newswires leading up to these shows. It was weirdly sparse for a WrestleMania weekend. The one thing that should be noted before we do indeed open the Ultimate Gate in 2011 is that the original lineup for this show featured a grudge match between Naruki Doi and Johnny Gargano. And it opened the opened the United Gate title match between Masato Yoshino and Pac defending against Shima and Ricochet. But as we speculated last week, we turned out to be correct, Ricochet hurt his ankle in the Mercury Rising six-man tag. He is off of this show, so we get Masato Yoshino and Pac against Shima and Naruki Doi, and we get Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Rave, which is our opener on Open the Ultimate Gate 2011.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, Doi versus Gargano is a match that I would have been really interested in at that time, but of course, plans fail uh one note about the show also before we get into it matt hardy was at this show and from the uh Melzer or the uh brian alvarez reviews since he was there alive he said matt hardy was at the show at the bar no seriously his girlfriend Rebby sky works here apparently he managed to get himself kicked out of one bar this weekend there might have been another big blow up as well he made his presence is known that way so yeah that's a uh, Luckily, Matt Hardy's doing a lot better, but this was a time that Matt Hardy was having some issues at that time. So that was the only other, like, note going into it. And, Case, okay, so let's just get into the show itself.
2: Yes, please. This is a wild one to get into, so by all means, lead the way.
1: All right, so open the ultimate gate from the presidential ballroom, as I mentioned earlier. Attendance was 350, Build as 916, which is still a crazy note that they had here. We open up to pack and yoshino backstage and Bayface. pack is not a great promo he said that blood warriors has it, has their attention now and yoshino says that they will never forget and then blood warriors are backstage and they say that they are going to end world one it's something pack's just not a great face promo for like as as laudatory as we are towards him face promo work was never really like his strong suit he just does not feel like this. And it's kind of wild considering how great of a heel promo he became.
2: The sheer
1: contrast
2: of watching Pac and Yoshino, both of them essentially cutting a broken English promo, just because Pac is so shy and timid and doesn't really like to speak, to Shima and Doi cutting a broken English promo that is so charismatic and chaotic and off the charts. It is such a funny parallel to start the show Where, again, it's, you know, Pac is whispering, and we're the best tag team in the world, and we're going to go out there and fight. (laughs) And then it's Shima and Doi just yelling and making noise. It's like, oh my god, these guys are so cool. Like, when Shima wants to be, he's the best. And this promo was very, very heartwarming for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was something that, you know, Shima going heel and really just saying, I'm not even going to fuck around with English a lot now was really kind of saying like, whoa, all right, you don't need to as a heel because you operate on a certain level that no one else in the promotion does with promos work that you're able to translate from Japanese into a promotion that's primarily designated for English speakers. Yeah. It's insane. All right, so the opening match was the match that Case mentioned earlier, Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Rave. Gargano defeated Rave in 14 minutes and 25 seconds with the Gargano escape. And... We talked about this starting to feel like a WWN, like WrestleMania match on a show. This is really was like one of those matches. I thought it was competent and good. It just was some of those matches where you're like, yeah, no, this is a solid wrestling match. that's going on a little bit longer than it should. And we're done. That that was my only big takeaway from this match.
2: Yeah, the cage match time is 1425. I noticed the announcers uh, called it at the 16 minute mark when Johnny Gargano finally made Jimmy Rave tap, and yes, they were dealt a bad hand because Gargano versus Doi was a much higher profile matchup. Although given the booking of Ronan, I'm not sure Gargano would have won that. But when you you are in this situation where yes, Jimmy Rave is respected, yes, he has a relationship with Gabe Sapolsky already. But for Jimmy Rafe to go 15 minutes, we'll split the difference between 14 and 16 and call it 15 minutes. For him to go 15 minutes with Johnny Gargano in the opening match, I just don't understand what they're doing with Ronan. This is a guy that Gargano needed to go out there and kill. This match could have been half the length it was, and it would have been twice as effective. And it's, it, it, it's just not what I want to see on a Drangate USA show. And that's no fault to Jimmy Rave. I mean, he's someone that had done Drangate tours in the past. It actually has a few very fun matches on his Wrestle Jam 2006 tour. But this Gargano Rave style, you know, if it happens on Evolve 7, maybe I think differently of it. But this is one of the few times so far where I look at this this promotion, I'm like, ugh, I got to watch these two Americans wrestle on this show. with such a long in an inefficient opener. I didn't like how long it took Gargano to put this guy away. So, again, you know, somewhere between 14 and 16 minutes, it's, it's just a lengthy opener with not much substance. I gave it two and three quarters.
1: Yeah, I went three and a quarter just because it was competently done. Like, this was not a bad match. So, it yeah. just was a match that happened and went way too long, and other than having a match on the card, there was really no purpose to this. It was you know? It was like a
2: painfully simple match. Like, it was... I don't want to call it a wrestling school match because the technique was, uh, you know, much further ahead than that, but it almost just seemed like two guys just kind of, like, rolling around and seeing what will happen, and and the fact that this match went so long, I just, I, I don't understand it, and it's coming off of you know, Gargano getting beat by Shima, which I understand, uh, I think it's part of a larger story, but they lose the six-man the night before, and as I mentioned last week, for whatever reason, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I thought that was a real missed opportunity with Ronan, and it just would have been better had Gargano, you know, kicked this guy, made him tap, move on, because there's a lot of Ronan on this show. We got a lot of Johnny Gargano here, and I think we could have used less of him in this spot.
1: Yeah, 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 I just felt really tacked on and then after this match we had another backstage promo moxley and yamato they were talking about yamato yamato i'm sorry moxley was talking about yamato being a defending champion and how they partied all last night and that they were going to finish this and prove that kamikaze usa was the definitive stable and dg usa because they were going to take out akira tozawa I've got some
2: thoughts here. First of all, you saying Yamoxley is a huge missed opportunity. How these men weren't crowned the first United Gate Tag Team Champions simply on the branding of Yamoxley is criminal. I also will be sharing a ton of thoughts on Jon Moxley and the final night of Kamikaze USA as we go along in this show. The first one being that given this promo and the fact that Yamato himself said he, quote, celebrated with many women the night before, it It's like Kamikaze USA was just done incorrectly at almost every step because there is a real interesting, almost odd couple pairing between Moxley and Yamato. And I understand that Yamato, at least at this point, didn't speak a ton of English. You don't want him cutting a ton of promos. But it seems like they could have milked so much more out of this relationship. And this promo, the trio of Moxley and Yamato and Trina Michaels together... I was just weirdly entertained by it. I really liked it. And it it made me more upset as the show went along and we saw Kamikaze USA completely implode. But I liked this promo a lot.
1: It's something where with Moxley and with them, it's just like, I remember talking about United Week and about the really cool chemistry that Moxley had with Tozawa. Like, it was there and as a parent, maybe Gabe thought that, oh, People don't want to see this, but then they have Ricochet right into Blood Warriors and being just as a member of the unit, interacting as much as anything. You have Brody Lee on the microphone for Blood Warriors. Why was he so set on having Moxley set apart from this unit?
2: That's that's, that's exactly that it, because Brody is so good in his role in Blood Warriors as the guy that can talk, because Ricochet, you know, yes, obviously American, but has the presence of a, of one of the Japanese proper talent because he can't talk. He just he has nothing to offer there. So, like in Philly we talked about, the segment was getting a little lost in translation. Shima was trying to cut an in-ring promo, and it just wasn't really connecting with the crowd that they were turning heel at that moment. Brody takes the mic, says, you know, you trash, you people, whatever, whatever. It was great. And I think we really missed out on more Moxley Tozawa Yamato Shingo together, the Japanese trio there. Tozawa Yamato Shingo, historically charismatic, historically great. And if you put a mouthpiece there with Moxley, I think that is that is is what this unit should have been. And as time went on, and they fizzled out. Yeah, it's just it, it's such a wasted opportunity. It's so frustrating to look back on.
1: Yeah, no, it's and it's something we'll be revisiting throughout the show. The next match was the six-man freestyle. This had Rich Swan defeating A.R. Fox as the finishing fall with a standing 450. Other people involved in this match were Sammy Callahan, Eric Cannon, Lindsay Dorado, and Silas Young. The, the overall match on Cage Match was listed at 913. I think we can already tell that the times on Cage Match are a little bit off for the show. And... Interesting uh, f- freestyle. They really kind of treated this thing as, okay, we have the Cannon and, and Callahan thing going on and doing their own distinct thing, and then you had like a four-way freestyle with the other guys. It was kind of interesting with this. I don't know if I really liked it, but at least it's, they were doing something in this match, whereas they did nothing in the open.
2: I talked last week's show about how I thought that freestyle match was kind of the perfect version of a six-way freestyle because... Other than John Davis pinning Stalker, which I maintain was just, it was a minor thing, but I think it was a big mistake. Stalker looked great, John Davis had a moment to shine, Brody Lee looked awesome, and the star of that match was Jimmy Jacobs. And I think the point of these multi-man matches is to throw a bunch of bodies on the ring and to have one guy stand above, to tell one story, to have one guy come out looking awesome. And this match completely failed at that. No one got over. They did uh, just another convoluted thing almost akin to the homicide deal at United Finale where he drapes Moxley's arm over him after he's beating him up because he doesn't care about wins. He just wants to inflict pain. Well, Sammy Callahan and Eric Cannon are destroying people in this match and then they just decide to leave at some point. They They remove themselves from the match which is so counterproductive to the fundamentals of professional wrestling, and you're left with AR Fox and Rich Swan, and, you know, a pre-real man, Silas Young. And Silas Young at this era, it is so funny watching him in 2011 because he is just the most generic indie wrestler there
1: is. Just (laughs) brings nothing unique to the table. It's generic, and he's, like, for his size... Likes to fly, which is wild. It's
2: awful. I I really loved Silas Young for a a good while in Ring of Honor. He was really good on weekly TV for a long time. I mean, you have to remember, when Kevin Steen exited Ring of Honor... His last thing that he did was he put over Silas Young, and, you know, I could write, I think, an entire book on the summer of Ring of Honor in 2014 and the amount of opportunities they wasted, and Silas Young is just, unfortunately, one of the many careers that were derailed that summer. But here, Silas is a a long-haired guy with no personality who is doing flips, but is not really doing Dragon Gate-level flips. Like, he's kind of just a guy that has a bit more body control than the average human. Whereas I will say Lince Dorado's the other guy in this match. Once again I thought Lince Dorado looked really, really good here. He especially him and Eric Cannon, which you put Lince Dorado and Eric Cannon on paper and you go, Well, that's that's not gonna work. But here, I actually really liked their chemistry. Dorado's one that eats the pen uh, on Swan standing for fifty, so at least Ronan gets some sort of, you know, boost between, you know, this and the Gargano opener. But this is a a two-and-a-half-star match. I just thought they brought nothing innovative to the table. No one came out looking better. This was the true definition of a collection of spots, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah, this was just spots, and it existed. And it was all for Cal—like, really, like, after Callahan and— Cannon left it was pretty much like straight to the finish it felt like i was like oh well that happened and it leaves you perplexed watching this if you aren't aware what's gonna happen later on in the show right and it's just like okay this happened okay this is this is what we're doing right now and it's just weird i think and it made sense oh go ahead, go why ahead. they did it but it's just weird and like it was all building to this but completely like rich like rich swan member of ronin Gets the win here, and you're like, "Oh, he got a win here," but it doesn't matter at all. No, not at all. all Because
2: Cannon and Callahan didn't care about winning; it completely devalued the match. And to your point, I think the emotion of perplexion—that word needs to be removed from wrestling. You should never feel perplexed watching wrestling. We're seeing it in modern New Japan. We're seeing it in 2011, drank Gate USA. Arguably the peaks of entertainment. We are left feeling complexed, or perplexed for that for that matter. And I hate it. Like You should not be scratching your head going, why did that guy do that? And it happens too often, and when that happens, it's a bad story that's being told, so don't tell those stories. I, like I said last week, am so curious to see how the DUF stuff holds up, because I'm looking forward to going back in revisiting all of that, but I hate what they did here where Cannon and Callahan removed themselves from the match.
1: Yep, and after that, we had a Freedom of Fight video. Boy, I'm getting fucking tired of the Freedom <laughs> Fight videos and the <laughs> WWE stuff. It's just, they had to do it on every show. I know why they did, but I'm just like going like, okay, we get It's it. too we long.
2: It. It, I don't have an issue with them pumping out the DVD sales. Seconds. It's too
1: long of a video. And... I'm willing to wager that with... We don't have... like I don't think I've ever seen any like DGUSA DVD sales reports. But I'm willing to wager that if you're someone watching this show, seeing how few tickets were sold and how the iPay-per-view didn't, didn't knock them dead, I'm willing to guess that if you watch this show, you probably already have a copy of pre-ordered Freedom Fight 2010.
2: I think that's a safe assumption.
1: And then we had... We went back to the ring as the god himself, Hollywood Ch- Sockey Soccer Chikawa came out, and then all of Blood Warrior came out, and Ricochet's hobbling. Like you could tell, like good reason why he was not he was not wrestling tonight. Shima calls Stalker Chikawa a cockroach and a joke. He makes him fights, Brody, and he says, in four words, hey Brody, kill him. And then we had Hollywood Soccer Chikawa versus Brody Lee. Brody Lee won in a minute fifty-nine with a truck stop and you know, it just was a fun. It's Stalker Chikawa. Like, we had a Soccer Chikawa match against Brody Lee. It was exactly what I expected, and for that, I loved it.
2: I can't believe they only brought Stalker in once, because he is so beloved in front of this Atlanta crowd that he's someone that should have come over in Miami. He's someone that should have come over in Secaucus, New Jersey. And had there been Dragon Gate talent in New Orleans, he should have been on the list. He should have been on mania weekends from here on out. And I w- I would like to know if that was a thing where Gabe wanted him again and Stalker said no, or if Gabe thought he wore out his welcome on this weekend because he was so much fun on the two Atlanta shows he was on.
1: Yeah, and it's something where Stalker Chikawa is such a, and and one of the reasons why I think Stalker Chikawa is probably the best comedy wrestler of all time, and I've said this many times before, you. You immediately see Soccer Chikawa. You get his deal. You don't need any explanation. Like, if you're someone that was, like, brought to this show, you'd be like, that guy is a wrestler? How is this guy a wrestler? He just looks like a little creep. And he gets murdered, and you're like, okay, this is why. He's the weakest wrestler in the world. And, I mean, I'm willing to guess why he didn't go to these shows, case, and I bet you have a feeling why as well. <laughs> but seriously, like, doing, like, soccer Chikawa, like, carve out 10 minutes on each of your show and have, like, The best comedy wrestler of all time do his stuff. Like he plays the hits. The hits are always fantastic. Soccer Chikawa. If I'm ever like booking a DGUSA revival show with you, Case, we're bringing in the god. He's coming over. Oh my god! Like he's on the list.
2: Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, he could have wrestled a a a John Davis type the next year when John Davis is a heel. He could have wrestled Sabu. I would like to see Soccer Chikawa versus Sabu. Who wouldn't? There was weirdly we talk. We're gonna talk a lot about wasted potential. On this show, a lot of wasted potential booking Starker Chikawa dream matches in Dragon Gate USA.
1: All right, I have one for you. And I think this one is, I'm going to go off the beaten path. I know that Larry Dallas would be very happy that I make this one. Starker Chikawa versus Scott Reed.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, that that is what we are doing
2: when we get the pencil for that revival show. That is first thing down on the paper.
1: Scott Reed versus Starker Chikawa. Yeah, gosh, but like, yeah, you, like you have him here, and like Brody, of course, because soccer. Like one of the things that's great about soccer, Chikawa, tremendous at selling. He did a he did a fucking John Woo bump off of his shoulder tapple. like as the first bump of the match, he flew back twelve feet. It was tremendous, and ah, uh, I, I could pretty much just do a series. Like if we get to a certain point in the rewind and rewatch where we're like through DG USA, U S A. We've done like going through like storylines, and things like this. I feel like the best of soccer at Chicago would probably be like the most pleasant like re- recording day and prep we'd ever have.
2: Yeah, that would be that would be a good time.
1: Like soccer went up against Necro Butcher. Like, come on. On a he on a Gate show,
2: on the Gate LA show, Stalker Chacau versus Necro Butcher. <laughs> that that is what we are missing from this show and from future WrestleMania weekend shows is just the what? And I do think that is arguably a missed opportunity on Gate USA. Is especially on these bigger shows, just kind of having that eye-popping match between a Dragon Gate talent and just some guy. And I, I do think there is a place for that. That and it's you know the way Gabe operates. I mean, he has a very tight knit circle, and he doesn't you know necessarily care about you unless you're in that circle. I don't really think that's wrong of him. But I watching Stalker here, it just seems like man, he should have come over more. It, really fun stuff here against Brody Lee
1: yeah and then afterwards uh uh blood warriors treat stalker like that he is a mosquito they do like a pretty prolonged mosquito bit where they act like that shima's finger is a mosquito and they all slap him and stomp him and they keep it up with that and then ronan comes out and and then Brody lee interrupts and wants chuck taylor and that goes straight into our next match chuck taylor versus Brody lee Brody lee wins and yeah these cage match times, I I should have paid more attention to Larry Legend on this show because this says six minutes and forty nine seconds, but this felt longer than six minutes and forty nine seconds. Did you write down what Larry Legends had for their ring time? The only time that I
2: caught Larry saying was the opening match. None of okay, I, I don't remember him doing that for any of the following bouts. I will say that match time might be right because this match did feel longer, and it's because I wasn't really loving this match. Brody Lee, Chuck
1: Taylor, two guys I really like didn't like this match a lot you see i actually really liked this match so brody won with the liger bomb and the reason why i like this match i went three and a half stars on it because this was like a i know we're talking about how this match felt like longer than what it was it was a very simple story being told yes it's like an ineffective use of chuck taylor having him job out to brody lee in what felt like a job like i know a lot of people like go like oh, are things a job? Is this guy getting jobbed out? No, he got jobbed here. He came in, he had a great house of fire. Uh, Brody Lee kind of had to adapt because he's a larger worker. Chuck Taylor was not a small guy. Like, he's six foot, legit. And I just felt like that this was a really, like, smartly worked match that eventually Brody gets tired of him and puts him away. And I felt like this really was, like, more of a TV match on this show, which for WrestleMania weekend, that's actually a bad thing. But I, end- I ended up really enjoying this.
2: It's just another one of those puzzling things when it comes to Brody Lee where he destroyed Rich Swan the prior weekend. He kind of destroys Chuck Taylor here, but there's never any Brody Lee open the Freedom Gate title matches coming up soon. Like he was just a guy that was such an effective muscle in the Blood Warriors unit, but still could have been so much more. And, and it's I I, I may, maybe that's my hang up here is it's like, well, nothing really came of this. And it's a little bit frustrating. This is the show. I'm very frustrated about the show. If you can't tell, because we're now, oh no, three real matches in. I'm not going to count Stalker versus Brody, which was a highlight. It might. It's a delight. Yeah. It's. But other than that, you know, I've got the opener at two and three quarters. I've got the six way at two and a half, and I've got this at two and three quarters. And well, as well. So not a show that I'm loving up to this point.
1: Yeah. Like, and here's the thing: we're gonna get to a point in the show where I immediately just hated everything. So it it it's a legit. Thing that this show is very disappointing in a lot of ways. Uh, after this match, uh, Blood Warriors grabbed a mic. He said, and they told uh, Ronin to go home, and then said Shima and Doya are ready for a fight. And that went right into the Open the United Gate match. The World One team of the current at the time Open the Dream Gate champion Masato Yoshino and the current Open the Brave Gate champion at the time of the show, Pack defended their titles against Shima and Naruki Doi in 22 minutes and 58 seconds when Yoshino locked in the Solna on Doi. And, Case, okay, so this is a match that, given the tenor of how you feel about this, I might be much higher on this match than you were, so I want you to take it away first.
2: Yes, I know, because I've, you either sent me a message about it or tweeted about it or something, and I knew immediately that you are much higher on this match than I was. Now, this is not the first time on a WrestleMania weekend that Shima and Naruki Doi have teamed together because WrestleMania week in 2006, better than our best, it's Shima and Doi against Ares and Strong, and I like that match much more than this. Now, this is not a bad match. I think Masato Yoshino in particular was phenomenal in this match. This is a, a low-key great Yoshino individual performance, but I do think the four names involved, Pac, Masato Yoshino, Shima, Naruki Doi, this is probably the worst match possible for these four to have. Now, I gave it I gave it three and a half. I did not hate this by any means. thought it was very good at points. There's a lot of uh, Yoshino-Doi interactions that I really liked. But I was let down because I didn't feel like this was the WrestleMania weekend epic that it deserved to be. And something that we talked about last week that I think is incredibly apt to this match as well. It's the low ceiling. Pac was really handicapped by not being able to do most of his offense in this building. And it was just, it was another one of those bummers. Like, I, I liked this, but I didn't love it. And so during 8 tag match with these four guys, I really wanted to love it. So sell me on it, Mike. What am I missing here?
1: So I feel like that this was one of the all-time great tag matches with Doi and Yoshino as as opponents. That's, I, I, I love told- their
2: chemistry together. That That was the high point, was whenever those two were in the ring
1: and i'm going to the whole thing with pack in the lower ceiling i did not notice it it was there and maybe that i was so with i was wearing such rose colored colored glasses seeing doyoshi go at it that i didn't think about it. oh pack can't dive at all because you're totally right about that case that was a huge problem in this match was that you can happen but you you get to really see something in it and it's something that I've noticed on previous shows, but it really was this week that I felt like Blood Warriors, at least towards the American audience, really gelled into this great Rudo unit. And I felt like that Shima and Doi were just tremendous dickheads in this. Like, the story of the match, at least for me, felt like that they were isolating Pac. Of course, Shima had his history with Pac, and we know Ricochet and Pac are in this... Uh, year-long feud over who's the best high flyer in the world, and they're just isolating him and trolling Yoshino for, like, the good, like, first 10 minutes of this match, and I felt like that that was one of those things that, like, Naruki Doi was pretty much at the forefront of this, just trolling them and doing this, and it just really made, made me think that Naruki Doi, as a single wrestler, not in a tag team, but as a single wrestler, is one of the top 10 tag team wrestlers of all time. And I and I know for you, that's not a controversial thing at all, but it's something that needs to be said, and it needs to be blared from the mountaintop that Naruki Doi is one of the top 10 tag team wrestlers of all time. And it was just remarkable. And then Yoshino does the drive-by dropkick three years before Roman Reigns would do it. And he does it with such gusto, running halfway to backstage and just doing a full-on sprint and doing the sliding dropkick on the apron that ruled. Naruki Doi was just an MVP in this. And this was like the matches that as we are going to be getting away slowly and slowly from the kind of Japanese talent they're using and how are things fit in, this is the kind of match that needs to be on every single DGUSA show. And I think that's a fair thing to say, even as someone that's more down on it, K, said this, you need to have a two-on-two match like this every show. Like They should find ways to have a special match like this. I don't think that's too unpopular. And then you had the, the combination Tokarev-Dai-Bosu, which was fucking nuts just was a brutal move. And it just, for me, it hit me in my special spot and I gave it four and a half stars.
2: I think that's entirely fair. I, again, I, I liked a lot of this match. I, I do think, especially given two weeks ago, open the Southern Gate, when I'm talking about how Pac is just this revelation, and was so unbelievably good in that match. And then seeing him being unable to do that because of the building he's in was so frustrating to me. But you are right on the money about Yoshino and Doi. They were terrific here. I I will say, thank God, that Pac and Yoshino versus Shima and Ricochet did not happen in this building. We get that match. Oh god. We now. get that match down the line later on this year at a building that is much more prepared for whatever they are going to do. Because also, this is right before Spike Mohicans really become a thing. I think this would have been the first straight two-on-two Shima and Ricochet tagged together. When we get that match later on in the year, they are a fully gelled unit and one of the great short-lived tag teams of all time. So, I think this match is unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen this match in another building, on another show, because I think it it could have been great, but I also think it is a better option than a possible failed Pac-Yoshino-Shima-Ricochet match with these low ceilings.
1: Yeah, it's something that, I mean... We're going to start, we're probably going to be saying this a whole lot more. Okay. It's like we started with the Ace Arena, but we will be complaining about bad venues for moves that can't be happening for the rest of the series. It's
2: weird. It was something that I didn't even think of until Joey Bay brought it up last week. And then I was like, yeah, like you're right. Pac didn't, he couldn't do anything except for he does a springboard 450, which he does that in such a weird way where he really doesn't get a ton of air on it. It's such a violent flip the way Pac does that springboard 450 but he can't really go to the top rope or else he's going to go through the ceiling. And that frustrated me watching this match.
1: Yeah, no. And, and I think that's totally justified. And then we had something else that is totally frustrating afterwards. <laughs> uh, after this match, and as the way that they go to intermission, yeah, that's uh, right. Johnny Gargano and Ronin come out and then Johnny Gargano makes a very bad transphobic joke that makes a pun off of Shima's name. It's bad it was not funny then it was never funny and the crowd immediately shits on it so a crowd in 2011 immediately saying like that's a terrible joke but they probably thought it was just lame and not just horribly derogatory and offensive and then they say that maybe it should be that blood warriors should go home and maybe they're not the most dominant stable in dg usa and that was it until after intermission.
2: I was pumped with this promo started because Rich Swan came out in Shima's goggles, and I was like, Oh, this is this is gonna be awesome. Like I'm gonna crack my knuckles and sit back and watch the masters at work, and then Gargano took such a sharp left turn into something deeply problematic, and I was like, Oh my god, I hate this show. I hate this show.
1: Yeah, it's uh just Really, everyone. Just if you're rewatching this or, or listening before you watch, skip the segment. Just hit on WN Live or on your DVD. Just hit next track. You, it's not worth it. uh WWN Live promo, and then we come back from intermission as Larry Leonard legend brings out Lenny Leonard. Case you knew I was going to get tongue tied there for a second, didn't you? Hey,
2: look, it happens to the best of us, Mike. Do not beat yourself up.
1: Yeah, at least I'm not doing this on Twitter this time. So that brings out uh, Lenny Leonard. He brings out the new assignees for DGUSA Dark City Fight Club, and that is John Davis and Corey Chavis. And John Davis is that that the Dark City Fight Club came to DGUSA to prove that they are one of the best tag teams in the world, and that brought out Callahan and Cannon, and they said that they were here to fight, and that led to Dark City Fight Club versus Callahan and Cannon cannon got the pen with a glimmering warlock on chavis and kind of like a match that i was like when like this match happened like i'm one of my big goals in the series thing i said before i'm ready to to watch john davis through 2021 2020 and 2021's eyes just as someone that was really down on john davis when DGUSA happened i was ready to go through with open eyes and this was not a match that made me change my opinion of john davis and DGUSA thought this was okay and it just kind of happened i would like to
2: know and this is our fault for not doing the research or at least i didn't maybe mike knows but they announced that they're signing or bringing in dark city fight club but this is the only time Corey chavis works strang at usa it is a john davis solo outing from here on out now i think mike is going to come around i think there is a lot of good john davis that is yet to come this match i understand why it was on the card I did not hate
1: it, but it also was not good. No, no, it was there, and it's something that given like these four guys, and even though this is like impromptu and there's bigger things on the card, you you would think that they would have a better match in them. would you say? I, like, I, I would. That's like the disappointing agree with thing
2: that. about. Yeah, this. it's no, it's it's four big guys who I think. I mean, I think if this match happens. In 2020, not their 2020 state, but these four young guys, if this match happens now, I think just with the way, it's going to be a weird guy for me to shout out right now, but even the way like a Matt Tremont has worked this beefy bruiser, you know, hashtag host division type style to the indies, I think it now in 2020 they would have a much better version of of this match. I guess Keith Lee was probably the, I guess the more obvious example. I dug deep and went for Matt Tremont as my big guy on the Indies reference, but it it just seemed like they had a lot of ideas and didn't really execute them, which in a way is kind of the, the Sammy Callahan story.
1: Yeah. 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 Then after the match, uh, Callahan talks about being frustrated and just like, just really, is like really fucking angry. They cussed a whole lot in this in case you know how I feel about cussing they said that he found another nasty dude they don't care about anything that you can call them they don't care about anything. So you can call us dirty ugly fucks for all we care and that became very hammered home that when i was watching this i was like oh they made like a one-side comment about being duf and now they're gonna call themselves duf from now on and i was like really stoked that i was going to be subtle for once but nothing is subtle in this promotion as i was Promptly just hammered down everyone's throat. Between the cussing
2: of Sammy Callahan and Eric Cannon and the presence of Trina Michaels, and, and we all know Mike Spears is canned that he is, is never horny, this must be a tough show for you to watch. Dranga USA is changing by the second, and it's almost like you don't even recognize the promotion anymore.
1: Well, it's not that I'm never horny. I just don't feel like it's appropriate to have another just c- cishet dude <laughs> talk up in horny. It's just. Who cares? It's almost like we Who have cares? enough of
2: that in the in the marketplace. <laughs> There's that right, has yeah. been covered.
1: <laughs> so, 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 Mike Spears' personal horniness will always be publicly private, <laughs> no one's business other than my own and whatever partners I may be with.
2: I think that's fair, Mike. I, I now that we've discussed it many times on the show, you're actually completely <laughs> right, and it has legitimately changed my outlook on some things. I'm like, you know what I? I'm good. I don't, need to, I don't need to be like this in front of people. I can just pocket that for later.
1: You've changed my life, Mike Spears, for the better. I, I'm just saying, dudes, sisette dudes, well, let's reel it back a little bit. We've had let's a good run. Look, things
2: have been good for us for a long time. Let's reel it back. Too good for. Let's, let's reel it back a little bit. Just a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then we had AR Fox backstage, as I'm going to not even try to segue here, being disappointed by the week, but it's okay because it's just a taste of AR Fox. And you know, for just a completely babyface promo that happened on this show, thank you AR Fox for just giving us a babyface promo.
2: AR Fox promos will always make me laugh because he seems like the most laid-back, relaxed dude in real life, and he looks so terrified cutting these promos.
1: Yeah, no, I mean... I I can definitely relate. I can talk into a microphone just fine, but get a camera or get me on a stage. Then I immediately start climbing up. I completely understand that. Yeah. So, and then we had a uh, promo for United NYC. My point about uh freedom fight continues here. Everyone who's watched this probably already watched United NYC. And then we have the last match in DG USA jimmy jacobs versus austin aries and jimmy jacobs won this match with a small package and i hated this match really i just it had like a weird vibe all over it they were being like all jokey about it and like it just was like this is like aries is being like all jokely and like this is like a wrestlecon match this felt like a wrestlecon match to me and just was like a weird out nowhere uh small package It did a brawling thing and then like Lenny brought up like we all know their history about that (laughs) and it's just like okay yeah it just like happened and maybe it's because I knew it was immediately going to happen next I was just going to be like okay well fuck off towards this sorry cussed again but it's just a weird vibe match that went on for like 15 minutes then we had like another half hour and we got into like not like 2010 where there was like an hour that was like just some of the utterly worst stuff that they still have put on this just was just there, out of place, and taking up time.
2: Well, this is a slog of a show. I mean, I think this is the longest Dranget USA show show up to this point, because this is almost three hours long, and, right, you know, your mileage may vary on the tag match, but the first half of the show is not a good show.
1: I mean, when Chuck Taylor versus Brody Lee in a squash match is your best match in the opening half of the show before the tag match, it's just... You know, you're you're going to be in for for a long time, and I mean, there's still about another hour left on the show with only technically one match on the docket.
2: That was that was so what shocked me because I normally watch these shows in two sittings. I take a break at intermission, and then you know either come back if I'm going to watch it at night, I'll come back the next day and finish it up, or sometimes I'll finish it all in one day. But yeah, I, I mean, I liked this match. There's one spot in particular that I think you are completely right about where they do the the Aries head scissors spot where what are you gonna do put Austin Aries in a head scissors and then you know he ends up countering it with the drop kick that we've all seen a million times and they make reference to that in the match it's a little it's a little off putting especially because Aries connects with the move it's not like Jimmy Jacobs outsmarts him like he just does what he said he was going to do it's very weird I really like their chemistry together I love their Ring of Honor matches. I think this was. I mean, I gave it three and a half. I liked it. I liked the finish given the idea that it is supposed to be Aries' last match in the promotion for Aries to, you know, kick him in the head set up for the Brain Buster, and then right as he is about to hit the Brain Buster, Jacob small-packages him, match over. I like that finish. Uh, It felt like a greatest hits match between the two, certainly not as heated as the 2008 Ring of Honor feud they had, but it it shouldn't have been as heated as that. It was a greatest hits match. I think the WrestleCon thing is fair to say as sort of an upper-mid-card WrestleCon match where on paper we're like, yeah, that's going to be awesome, and then it's... It's good, but it's not that good. I think that's entirely fair. I, I think it's a little bit more serious than maybe an undercard comedy bout. But there are a few moments where, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird just how jovial they are about this entire thing.
1: Yeah, it just gets really awkward and weird. I want two stars on it, but it tells you how much I just... I On these shows, and especially on a three-hour show... I really love this series because these shows are usually about 2 hours and 15 to 2 hours and 30 minutes, probably because of the pay-per-view limitations at the time. And then you have, like, just superfluous stuff that we're going to be facing more and more as they're going to be on pay per view going forward. And this felt superfluous to me.
2: Mike, I've got a quote for you that I think adequately okay. describes maybe who you are and how you're feeling about this. And it's, it's a quote from Austin Aries, and it's a quote from After This Match, where Austin Aries is on the microphone, and he says, A small vocal minority of haters that want to sit behind their keyboards and they pretend that they know what goes on in this business and it taints it for the people that truly respect what they do. Mike Spears, you're nothing more than a keyboard warrior, my friend. (sighs) Well, he got me there.
1: (laughs) He got me there.
2: That was... uh, Aries cuts this excessively long post-match promo. It's an Austin Aries promo. It is an Austin Aries promo to the fullest extent, and before anyone else comes out, it's just Ares in the ring, he's just going on and on about the haters, and the people that have doubted him, and this industry, and he is such a miniature Triple H, It is so it, he is so obnoxious when he is cutting promos, and then Ronan comes out, and Mike, you can take it from there.
1: Yeah, then Ronan comes out, and he says he's going to pass the, the torch to Ronan, and he Compliments everyone. He says, Chuck Taylor, the crowd likes you. I don't get it. What a fucking you, you asshole. Want, you... God
2: damn. <laughs> it's Austin Aries. I mean, as it's so unlikable. Like,
1: like, on the day we're recording, I was watching Dark, and there was a Best Friends versus Beaver Boys match. And I, during the match, I was like, Chuck Taylor has been one of the best wrestler, North American wrestlers for about 12 years, and no one talks about that enough. Plunder King, and one like, of the
2: best brawlers there is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, like, fuck it. I mean, I always say fuck Austin Aries." I think I've pretty much said that since the start <laughs> of him showing up here. And that kind of continues here. I will cuss there. So that's fair. Uh, and then it complimented Johnny Gargano for being like a complete wrestler and, and Rick Swann for being one more incredible high flyers. And he says that he's going – that when he – the big moment was when he said he was going to hang it up here, he got a bunch of phone calls from people. And then Blood Warriors comes out. And then he says, you know, Shima, you were one of the people who called me too and i respected this but how y'all run things is very disrespectful and i don't get why you're all doing this and he's like oh and the way you do beat downs on people well for once you're outnumbered so get in the ring with us and and let's settle it here and then that was a big bait and switch and then uh austin aries attacked all the members of ronin and he's and the commentary made a big point about saying that he found his place aries said he was going to leave unless he found his place. And he found his place, and he, unofficially here, but it's pretty certain, that he joins Blood Warriors and the crowd is just confused, is that probably the right way to put it. They were confused, right? Well, it was confusing, because you have to remember, the the talk
2: at the time was that Ares was legitimately going to retire, and that this was billed as his final Drangate USA match, and then he cuts this promo which implies that he's going to be sticking around for much longer, and it's not exactly the Summer of Punk in the way that it's constructed. By the way, the first of two times that I'll be mentioning the Summer of Punk in this episode. But, yeah, it's it's a convoluted angle. I mean, it took so long to get to the point, and it's just for kind of a generic, you know, double-cross heel turn. And, you know, I not, you know, obviously not personally, but professionally I have a little bit more of a tolerance for Ares and ring. Although I think he has been very disappointing in trying to USA. And yeah, this promo did not exactly make me excited to see Austin Ares blood warriors member, especially when Brody Lee is right there. That's the American that needs to carry the torch, not Austin Aries.
1: Yeah. Like Brody, if anything has proven that he's a great microphone worker during all of this. So it's just like, okay, this is happening. And it, just like now Austin Aries is going to be doing things with Blood Warriors. And that's the world we live in right now, Case. <laughs> and what also is a world we are living in right now is we get a big recap of John Moxley, Rebby Sky, and Tozawa in a music video that I was really into it as it started. And then, like a lot of the videos on the show, went on kind of long, this music video.
2: It was, I, I will always take a good feud recap, though. It was long, but I, I don't mind this.
1: That's fair. That's fair. And then we had Tozawa and Kamikaze come out. Moxley takes a microphone and he says that Tozawa fights him right then, right there, and beats him, that he will get a title match and it'll be a bunkhouse brawl. And then we had no DQ because Tozawa, being a man of high character, took that match. He knew the opportunity. He knew to grasp it. John Moxley versus Akira Tozawa in a no DQ match where Akira Tozawa beat John Moxley in his last match in DG USA with a German suplex in about four minutes. So
2: just to reiterate, because I know we talked about it on one of the prior episodes, but the, the angle going into this weekend was that Yamato and Moxley refused to grant Akira Tozawa a title shot. So that's why Moxley comes around here and says, if you beat me, you can get the title shot. And this is John Moxley's final match in the promotion. A guy that was really... The first homegrown American star that they had, because before that it's Davy Richards and the Young Bucks and Brian Kendrick. And those guys had already been discovered, were already names on the independent scene and beyond. John Moxley was a CW, CZW IWA Mid-South guy who came into Drangate USA in November of 2009, the third show, and launched to indie superstardom at this point. And the fact that this is his final match, and his final weekend is spent, he has a fun match with Naruki Doi at Open the Southern Gate, I will give him that, but to wrestle Eric Cannon the night before, and then to have a throwaway match with Akira Tozawa, I cannot believe this is how the John Moxley era ends in Dranget USA. Because there is so much potential here. I mean, we are talking about the American superstar of the promotion, more so than Johnny Gargano, I think. And the guy that books the Summer of Punk, Gabe Sapolsky, does this for Jon Moxley? If there is something political that happened where Moxley said, well, I'm not going to do this, this, or this, and you're listening to the show and you have that knowledge, please let me know. Because, I, I mean, I'm against the idea of... Tozawa splitting off from Kamikaze. Anyway, I didn't like that story because I thought it was lazily done. It was put at the end of a, a, a at the end of a show promo that was in front of an audience, and they just threw it in there like they needed to come up with an angle for WrestleMania weekend stat, and that is the best idea they had. But uh, you know, besides that. Just the idea that again, Brody Lee continuing to be mismanaged. You could have been building to Mox versus Brody Lee this entire weekend with Brody Lee pinning him and then becoming the de facto American face of Blood Warriors. You could have had Mox and Tozawa having an actual match on night one, leading to Tozawa getting the title shot tonight. Yes, that robs us of Pac versus Akira Tozawa, but that's okay because that match happens. Uh, for a second time on a Gate USA show next year. They could have done a six-man with Kamikaze, with Moxley, Tozawa, and Yamato against any trio of Blood Warriors guys. They could have kept the unit together, officially pit the former heel unit, the people that ruined the Canadian shows because they were on the shows too much at Kamikaze USA. They could have had Moxley, Tozawa, and Yamato against Shima Doi and Brody, against Shima Ricochet and Brody, Instead, they have a four-minute brawl with Akira Tozawa and John Moxley. And it's not efficient, and it's not effective, and it is such an awful way to end John Moxley's Dragnet USA run. I still cannot believe this is how he goes out, with a whimper instead of a roar. This right now is the biggest booking mistake that Dragon Gate USA has faced. Not having something big, not having something grand, not having something heated for John Moxley's final weekend of the company, I do not understand how this is the idea that they went ahead and booked. I, I, I just, I can't believe it.
1: And it's something that I remember at the time, and this is just my memory, I don't, when I look through like observers and things like this, there's only really notes of it after the fact and I might have missed something. But I remember at the time, people were pretty certain that Moxley was getting signed. So this wasn't like a sup- – I don't believe – and I'm going to use my therapy words here. I don't believe that this was a surprise to Gabe that John rolled up in Burlington and said, Hey, Gabe. Sorry, I'm pretending that he is.
2: <laughs> no, no, that ruled. That ruled. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Gabe. Uh, this is my last week, partner. I'm going to New York. I don't think no, he did that.
2: of course not. Like, I – there's, I just, there's, there's no way that happened. And again, if someone's listening, that can double source us on when Gabe might have known that Moxley was signing, and if there were any issues of Mox for whatever reason. And I, I maybe don't even think he's wrong if he had a list of provisions in place to, I'm not going to do this, this, or this. I would just like to know because I have a really hard time believing this was option one, plan A for the farewell of John Moxley, especially given Gabe's track record. Of typically sending guys out with pretty strong farewells.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at what happened last year with just Brian Kendrick, like, and Paul London, like, they 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 did a very concerted effort of sending them out there. They had a official handing of the torch over from the young bucks to Chikarasekigun. Gun. This has not been a surprise. Like, the only person that they kind of just like were like we're done with him, fuck him, was Davy Richards. And as we talked about on that episode for pretty good reason they pretty much treated him like this like it's just something that i can't believe and i said at the beginning of this weekend that i thought this was a carnal sin but now i feel like i could chisel this in stone this is one of the biggest carnal sins of dragon gate usa was not having not even a satisfying plan this felt like this was thrown together completely like this felt like the completely thrown together and just the we'll get more into this after we finish the main event. The overall just treatment of John Moxley entering this promotion is something that, as we rewatch this, just confounds me. And I'm looking at my observer notes because in case you know how I love my observer notes. It's one of your brand it's one it, of your features. It. I love it. Yeah. I have this from the WrestleMania wrap up Observer from April eleventh. So this was the week after the show. Jonathan Good, age 25, who worked as John Moxley for a number of independents, most notably CZW in Dragon Gate USA, was offered a developmental due and is expected to be started soon. He placed second in Best Brawler in last year's award and also placed in Best 10 on Best on Interviews. So, that's usually, that's an interesting paragraph from Dave, I think we can both say because usually when people like have these big signings and this is happening, usually he gets a bigger write-up. Am I wrong in saying that? Like, usually there's a little bit more there. No, I, I, I think I think that's fair, but I, I don't entirely know where you're going with it. Is this something where I did the voice where he sprung it on Gabe? And I don't believe he did, but this paragraph, two sentences from Dave Meltzer, when Dave Meltzer usually, like we went through line by line all the solid coverage Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez did of this. We even dipped into the torch a bit for that, if I remember correctly. For the Davey Richards stuff, yeah. Yeah. Two senses. Two senses. It makes you wonder. At least it makes me wonder. I
2: also just think that in the case of maybe the Phoenix Exodus, as we'll call it, with the Bucks and Davey and TJP, those were guys that were more vocal and also that caused a stir where Gabe had to give public statements to say one way or another. This is just a guy signing. So... Again, I I, I would like to know more. I will pivot for just a second again before we talk about the main event to once again prove how I think the Kamikaze USA breakup was so wasteful. Mike, do you know what the main event of the next
1: show that we watch is? It's, uh, they're up in Boston, aren't they,
2: for that show? They are in, or New York York City. Well, they're in Revere, Massachusetts for this one.
1: No, I don't know. I'm going to look at this card but please tell me before I click, it's, look. It's the part.
2: Open the United Gate title match. It's Masato Yoshino and Pac, and they defend against Akira Tozawa and Yamato. So they go through this entire breakup angle where Yamato turns on Tozawa and he's not worthy of being in Kamikaze, and a show later, and it's not even like after the main event, which we'll talk about in just a second, because it is an excellent match, but it's not even like they have... This huge reconciliation. Like they're cool afterwards. They, you know, they embrace, but it's not like they are back on the chain gang together. And for this to be the main event of the next show, how did they not do Kamikaze USA versus Blood Warriors and pit that team that, again, ran roughshod in Canada, was an overbearing heel presence? And against the current Heels blood wars. I think that dynamic would have been so interesting. Mox versus Japanese talent is always encouraged. And instead we got a four-minute Akira Tozawa versus John Moxley match, and the story was rendered pointless on the very next show.
1: And that kind of colors my opinion on the main event as well. So, yep, that happened. I do love the main event. I, I, I will say I, I love the main event. Where do you stand I went on four and a it? quarter. I liked it a lot. I liked it a whole so lot. So before yeah, that, so uh, Ruby Sky runs in, they attack uh, Trina Michaels. She attacks Mary Michaels. Just really awkward and unnecessary shit. Like that's all I have in the notes there. Uh, Trina Michaels would like wrestle one of two matches and at least on cage match like the next day, which is kind of interesting. Not in DGSA, of course, but like down in Florida. So that was uh, the end of John Moxley and uh, Dragon Gate USA, everyone. Went out in three minutes, and then a bigger thing was uh, the brawl of his valet against the woman he felt like he was scorned by. That was it. What a bizarre—that
2: What that, that is a point we neglected here. But Mox's biggest angle coming into this weekend is him versus Rebby Sky, which is just— Right. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable because that's—I I couldn't believe she was brought—I guess if Matt Hardy's there, okay, maybe she'll come down south, but, like— why? She is not over on these shows. She's not over like Akira Tozawa and Yamato in this main event, which I will say now talking about this main event, it is, a, it is a slow starter. But once this match gets going, oh my god, this is something else. I mean, they really, really went out there and killed it. And I think this match is important. You talked earlier on the show about the tag match and how every Dragon Gate USA show should have had that two-on-two tag match, that Dragon Gate style. That just no other company on earth can duplicate. And I have noticed with Akira Tozawa, with his match here against Yamato, his match the night before against Pac, which, as I've said before, I consider Pac to be a Japanese talent or a Dragon Gate Trueborn, rather, and against BB Hulk on United Finale, Tozawa is carrying the spirit of those first few shows the Masada Yoshino versus Dragon Kid matches, the Shingo versus Naruki Doi match, that Dragon Gate. Trueborn energy is now being exclusively carried by Akira Tozawa. There's a moment in this match where he kicks out of a brain buster. Yamada picks him up, hits the Galleria. Tozawa kicks out at one, and then he finally goes down on a second Galleria. Once this match got going, it was really something special. But Mike, given everything we've talked about, given how Akira Tozawa who came over to Dragon Gate USA in May 2010, it's now April 2011, and in the 11 months, he has become maybe the most over guy in the promotion, not named Shima. Yeah. This, this moment, WrestleMania weekend, are you putting the belt on
1: a Tozawa here? You know, that's the thing that was playing through my mind as I was watching this match case, and I don't know. Like, so, at this point... It was not known when a character was going to go back to Japan, but it would be an, a natural inclination for people to think, okay, he's been over here almost for a full calendar year. That's usually a solid amount of time. But there's also the big thing about when you go on Excursion, especially in Dragon Gate, they like to make the emphasis that you've done something on Excursion. Like, they made a big deal about how Shingo Takagi won the ROH World Tag Team titles. Correct? Like, they made a huge deal about that at the time. So Yeah, it was a big deal. Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. How could you not be excited? this could have been like the this could have been like the a trophy he brought back saying like i not only did i go over there but i beat yamato for the the championship of our affiliate over here this is why i did it on my on my year off on the main roster and dropped the title belt on the mat and that would have been interesting that would have provided a i think that that his return into kobe uh, his return into uh cork and hall on in May of 2011 would have been more effective if he kind of just rolled up and dropped the title.
2: I, I would have pulled the trigger here. And this is a conversation, by the way. We'll have this conversation Yeah. when we talk about 2012 because I think there's another opportunity there to put to- the title on Tozawa. But given everything you've talked about, the idea that a Dragon Geek guy would go on excursion to their American promotion and conquer that promotion... And yes, this would have been an incredibly short title run for Yamato. He would have had the defense against Austin Aries, and I believe that would have been it. I don't remember what he did on United uh, Philly off the top of my head, but he won the show on, on United New York. But he would have had the one defense the night before. But I also just think, man, Tozawa had that energy, and he's the guy that's going to be pushing this company forward and giving everything we know about Akira Tozawa and what's to come in June 2011. I think him rolling into Cork and Hall with the Open the Freedom Gate title around his waist, I think that would have made for a better story. Now, I do not fault them for what they did. I do not even necessarily disagree with the decision. I just, if I was calling the shots, I would have put the belt on Tozawa here.
1: Yeah, like, especially of how they book him, and we will get more into this because by the the time the next week happens— we are going to be right on the precipice. Like I'm looking at this fearless card. This fearless card is on June 3rd. I I aired when I said the Kishizawa return was on June 8th, so five days earlier, he had his last weekend as a formal excursion person. Excursion person, wrestler on excursion. You know they what know I mean? No excursion person. That counts. Excursion person. <laughs> yeah, but he is not booked with BB Hulk until later in 2011. After he goes through both Yamato. And Shingo and has a title challenge against the Dream Gate champion. They could have had him come in with the Dream Gate title, and that would have been—I I mean, he's treated seriously immediately. But like the the idea, more so of hey, this was a guy that was as much of a cast off as anyone could ever be, came back and came in and dropped the title belt on uh, on the on the ring as he made his surprise return. And Let me, oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I and I say all of this with like a match that, other than like our divergent opinion on the tag match, easily matched the night. Like, this match told a tremendous story. It, Tozawa proving himself to Yamato, Tozawa proving that he became this transcendent presence for the people who watched him, and people who watched him on this excursion, and the fans of akira tozawa who waited for, like so long for him to get this opportunity he knocked it out of the park here and the idea that that he had to uh, they kicked out at one after the first galeria and the look on yamato's face of this guy is something different now the first time that we've really seen a dragon gate guy give that look to tozawa that would kind of become the thing for the next five years of him in the promotion that akira tozawa he's the santo monster and the bigger thing about him being the Santa Monster is you have to kill, kill Akira Tozawa by fire. And that was, like, the first time this happened was in this match. And it. I think that even though I would want to strap him up at that point, I don't know if it does any business difference at this point. I feel like the business is pretty much going to be the way it is, at least at this time.
2: I think that's fair. I think, I fair. I think like... a year from now, it might make a business difference. Here, it's all right, kind of the same. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just, this is, like, an incredible match. And it's a match that, on a very bad show, leaves you on a very nice note, even though they immediately kind of, like, mess things up the next month as you got into But going back to that question case, I think you still do strap him up there, even though you had the moment of that one, like, central moment of, oh, God, this guy won't go down. So...
2: I think as we conclude here, what I was referencing at the top of the show, this is unfortunately kind of the prototype for what would become of these Gabe Sapolsky WrestleMania shows, where it's longer than most. You got a match, for me, the tag match that just didn't deliver. I think Aries and Jacobs was a, a big match that I think the same could be said about that, and it just seems... Like one blunder after another, and then you get that you get that one match that you go, okay, you know what? I'm glad I paid the money for it. But still, like for this to be a WrestleMania weekend show, with Gargano and Rave in the opener, which I get it, there were injuries, they were dealt a bad hand, but that match was just inexcusably, inexcusably long. The six way, an okay Brody Lee versus Chuck Taylor match. Again, the tag match we differ on, but you know, you get the point a DUF angle and then an Austin Aries Jimmy Jacobs match before we hit the, the final segment here with Tozawa versus Mox and Tozawa versus Yamato. I just feel like I've seen Evolve shows on the same weekend with the same results. And it's, it's very frustrating. This was a step in the wrong direction for Dragon Gate USA.
1: Yeah, and with the way that Moxley was written off and the way that they shoehorned Austin Aries into Blood Warriors, and the way that I brought this up on the Burlington show, they buried they buried Ronan this weekend. Their their potential breakout stars, like the big North American stars that Gabe Sapolsky was direly looking for since the since before the show, the promotion's inception. The only win I think this weekend that they had was, yeah, the only two wins they had was a four way that st- was that freestyle earlier where Rich Swan was just like oh yeah Rich Swan won the match, and then the only other match was Johnny Gargano beating Johnny Rave or Jimmy Rave. They buried Ronin this weekend.
2: Yeah, because Swan loses to Callahan in on Open the Southern Gate, and Gargano loses to Shima, and then at Mercury Rising they lose the six man, which I I very much disagree with. And so, yeah, yeah it's it's a tough weekend for them. They essentially win two meaningless matches and lose all of the stuff that that counted and it's It's not a good way to go about this, and i I think we can transition into what's to come, this fearless show that we're gonna be talking about uh next week because Mike, I don't know about you, but looking at this card, this feels like an entirely different promotion. It's like Gabe really hit the reset button after this weekend with no John Moxley. The card just it, it feels so strange. It's Shima versus Rich Swan. It's a six-way with Eric Cannon, Brody Lee, Tony Nese, nice, Alex Colon, A.R. Fox, and our man, the debuting Scott Reed. It's Asuma Yokosuka versus Ricochet, Masaki Mochizuki versus Sammy Callahan, John Davis versus Pinky Sanchez, Austin Aries versus Johnny Gargano, and the main event, like we said, Yoshino and Pac against Tozawa and Yamato. Mike, I don't know what it is about this card, but I feel like this is an entirely different company than the show I just watched.
1: Yeah, and Mochi's coming in, so you know about me and Mochi, so I'm up for that. Uh, it's it's a positive. It's a positive, but like look in the show. What is Chuck Taylor doing on this show? He's hurt. He's not-
2: he, he is hurt. Uh, he gets injured. We'll talk about it more next week. He is booked okay. in pretty prominent matches this weekend, but he gets hurt on a PWG show. Uh, and has to pull out of this weekend.
1: Oh, that's right. He dislocates yes. his shoulder on this before that. Yeah, okay, yeah. And we'll and we'll talk a little bit about that PWG show. <laughs> yes, we, we
2: will. A the... wild bunch of shows, and I was just looking back at those cards uh, earlier today, actually. We will be talking about PWG All-Star Weekend 8 next week.
1: Yeah, and... uh Whew. I think this is the first show that I'm willing to say two Cardinal Sins. At least this weekend had two Cardinal Sins on it, in case to close this out.
2: Which is what? The handling of mocks and what else?
1: Bearing Ronin.
2: Bearing Ronin. Yeah, the the, the Ronin thing, again, I will let it play out, but I'm very confused as to how they're being used so far.
1: Okay, I, I know I argued this in Burlington, so I'm just going to keep this in my notes as a tentative Cardinal sin. It might just be an entire year thing where eventually you're like, okay, Mike cardinal sin or you'd be like mike get out of here get lost you're you're off your rocker about this but john moxley we will not be unlike other people that we've bid farewell to we're bidding farewell to john moxley we will not be talking about him again only in retrospect we'll be talking about him on the show or even more retrospect as he will not be on any future dg usa show so case okay, i think that's going to do it for this episode of rewind and rewatch anything you wanted to hit on before we get out of here
2: yeah real quickly well, i actually i want to just quickly summarize the John Moxley run and at USA, because oh, yeah. you know any time from here on out, we'll be talking about Dean Ambrose of FCW fame and WWE fame later on. But the the Mox run, he is the first guy that has had a prolonged run in this company that is now leaving. And when Pac goes, I think we'll do the same for him. Off the top of my head, those are kind of the two main guys, but I, I, I know more people get signed uh, as time goes on. I just can't think of them now, but just to quickly Run through Mox's entire Dragon at USA run. He comes in on the third show, beats B Boy in a dark match, and then has that awful work shoot angle with Brian Kendrick. That leads into a Chicago show where he interferes in a Jimmy Jacobs Brian Kendrick match and gets attacked by Tommy Dreamer. There is the Jimmy Jacobs Paul London versus John Moxley Brian Kendrick, just abysmal match in Phoenix. And then the next night we have to sit through a Tommy Dreamer John Moxley match. Once again, WrestleMania weekend. We go to Canada where he beats Phil Atlas in Toronto and then has a really fun match with Jimmy Jacobs in Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. The first anniversary show, I think John Moxley is incredible at the Chikara versus Kamikaze USA elimination match. I think he is the focal point of a match that I, I really raved about at the time. And then we go to the Midwest. He once again has a hardcore match with Jimmy Jacobs and the Brian Danielson match in Milwaukee. End of 2010, it's an I quit match with Jimmy, and then a, a tag with Akira Tozawa against B.B. Hulk and Homicide. As we go into 2011, it's the triple shot where he wrestles Jigsaw. He wrestles B.B. Hulk in a really fun match, and then he has the worst match in company history up to this point with Homicide. And then this weekend, like I said, it's Naruki Doi, it's Eric Cannon, it's Akira Tozawa. So the weird thing about John Moxley is that he is involved and some of the worst stuff that Dragon Gate USA ever presented. The angle with Brian Kendrick, the Tommy Dreamer stuff, the Paul London and Jimmy Jacobs versus Brian Kendrick and John Moxley match, the Tommy Dreamer match, which was just as bad. The homicide stuff, which I just, I just hated so much. But I don't look at Moxley's run in this company as a failure. I think Moxley is so good that whatever awfulness he was involved in, I have never pinned that on him because I thought he was rising above the situations he was given. I think it's frustrating that we only got him versus BB Hulk in a singles match and him and Naruki Doy in a singles match. And other than that, he was wrestling American talent. But Mike, I, you know, I just summarized it all there. Big picture: John Moxley's le- John Moxley's legacy in Dragon Gate USA. What is it?
1: I mean, for him personally, this was his real breakout promotion even though he's in part of some of the worst stuff in the promotions history multiple times different different lows deeper lows he gets at times but this it gabe was able to like see this guy at a fip show in florida and say okay i need to have this guy maybe it's something where looking over this this thing other than the jimmy jacobs like feud all this stuff, like, and Brian Danielson, because it's Brian Danielson, almost all this stuff of Americans involved, or it was primarily Americans, was terrible. 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 And then you look at, like, the eight man match. He's not a part of it for a long time, but he's very interesting in it. And him and Yoshino have a couple good back and forths there. And then he has some fun chemistry with BB Hulk. And then him and Naruki Doi work like this territory style match that that owned. And then Akira Tozawa. Akira Tozawa. Only three minutes of Akira Tozawa. It's such like a dichotomy of like his his promos. Some of them held up. Some of them didn't. A lot of the ones that didn't hold up were analogous to other stuff on the shows that didn't, did not hold up, I would say. Like stuff in 2010 that you could say in 2010 was still fucked up in 2010. But now you watch back in 2020 and it's, I mean, we talked about stuff that Johnny Gargano said on the show.
2: Yeah, some of the content doesn't hold up, but the skill is there, and that is the that is the thing yeah, that the just blew me That's away what I'm from saying. Start is from his first promo on. It's like, oh my god! I mean, I understood why Gabe and we talked about it on that on that Philly show. Open the Freedom Gate. Just yo, know, Gabe writing MySpace messages about how excited he is to work with with John Moxley. It makes sense. It is so clear that Gabe is losing his mind at the prospect of working with this guy. For basically the first six months, and then once the Jimmy Jacobs feud, feud ends, and he goes into that just awful business with homicide, and then this weekend, it's disappointing. It is disappointing, but I think Moxley rose above the entire time. I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching this period of his career.
1: Yeah, and it's something that, especially seeing where John Moxley is in 2020, and seeing how they completely you know, for what you could say about AEW anyway, it's about John Moxley, because I believe he has more control over what he says in AEW right now. Not, like, completely off. And you could definitely see the uh, diamonds that Gabe tried to chisel out some. And I can't look at it as, like, a failure. I can't look at it with Davy Richards, where Davy Richards left so much on the table. With John Moxley, just whatever thing he had against working against the Dragon Gate-style wrestlers is a shame, because... That was where he excelled in other than Jimmy Jacobs. And that's kind of and the way that you couldn't give it a good definitive blow off with him and Kira tozawa is probably the most disappointing part about this at all.
2: I would completely agree. And that is the end of John Mox's run and drink at USA and Mike, that is the end, thankfully, of Open the Ultimate Gate twenty eleven.
1: Yep. Uh you, you know how we said at the beginning we're gonna wonder when like we stop enjoying the shows? This was a show that made me assess like enjoying this until the main event. <laughs> like I like one good match is something, but like two good matches is what it takes for me to say like okay, the show is worth it. But case, okay, I feel like this is the first show that you're like DGUSA. I get now when people are like it fell off a cliff here that it was really shit. I
2: I honestly I honestly think the United finale show well was the United finale show worse. I really hated that that final show the the United Triple Shot. I hated that final show. This one was just too long. Like it was it, roughly the same. Yeah. One really great match. One match that to me was pretty good. Just like the multi man tag on the United finale show, and then a bunch of undercard stuff that just didn't need to be there. So they're 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 both bad. It's it's a rough stretch for this promotion. But I I like what's to come down the road.
1: It's interesting. It's gonna be interesting getting into the next Triple Shot, but. Case, okay, so I did not think we were going to go this long on this show, talking about a show I think both of us were probably more interested in talking about what happens with John Moxley, but getting to see Tozawa and Yoshino, at least, left the show on the right foot for me. Case, okay, anything you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? That's all I got, Mike. Alright, you could follow us on Twitter at Open OpenVoiceGate. You can give us a donation. There's this nice little red button on the Red Circle website. I even provide a link to it in the show notes you're not obligated we certainly appreciate it you can do single donation or reoccurring case is on twitter at underscore in your case i'm on twitter at fujihaya so for case i'm mike and we'll catch you next time on open the voice gate rewind and rewatch